Here to score it for us is the master of disaster public relations specialist, Mike Paul. Mike Paul, known as the reputation doctor. Well, there's a court of law and there's a court of public opinion. Mike Paul is a crisis PR and reputation management expert. He's all about reputation. Got some tips on rebuilding those reputations. You first have to be transparent and then be accountable for your actions. He's got to get on a truth train right now. There's no ifs or buts in a true apology. You must speak directly to the issues that you've been involved with. You're going to have to have an across-the-board solution that is more than words, and you've got to have actions. Well, let's do this. Welcome to Reputations in Crisis with Mike Paul, the Rep Doc. Our guest in today's episode is Michael McCarthy. He's the senior writer, an award-winning senior writer for Front Office Sports. Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. The doctor is in. I'm so glad to be here, Mike. <laughs> glad to have you. Well, today's topic is the continuing scandal within the NFL. Let's first start with the big story that's still breaking as we speak which is the email scandal that broke as a result of an investigation. Can you summarize for us, Mike, what the investigation was and who some of the key players are? Here's what we know. Uh, the investigation centers around 650,000 emails sent to and from former Washington football team president Bruce Allen. Several parties have access to these emails. Somebody somewhere, Mike, has leaked them to the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times, resulting in probably the career ender for John Gruden, the Raiders coach, and truly one of the faces of the NFL for over the last 15 years, not only from winning the Super Bowl, but as the longtime analyst for ESPN's Monday Night Football. So what you have here is a treasure trove of emails that have been weaponized, and we're waiting to see what is the next shoe going to drop what is, who is the next domino after Gruden who's going to fall? But how in the heck, with a 10-month investigation, a lot of money, a lot of time, specifically for misconduct and issues regarding the Washington football team, and with the headline, at least currently, being the former coach of the Las Vegas Raiders, how does Washington's team, leaders, owners, GMs, go unscathed today? <laughs> Mike, you're asking the, the $69,000 question here. How is an investigation of the Washington football team taking down anybody but Dan Snyder, the right. owner of the Washington football thing? I would uh, throw out a couple of theories here. I don't uh, know this, but this is from my own reporting and from talking to a lot of people around the league. I think somebody somewhere at the league wanted to take Gruden down. He had enemies, and these emails gave them a perfect weapon to you know, take down Gruden, who had made enemies at the league level, at the ownership level. Two, I don't believe Snyder uses email. So you may uh, think that's just luck or some sort of Sith Lord skill he has to avoid uh, all the knives are out for him, but he uh, apparently hasn't been, you know, uh, has been too smart to put anything in the emails that could be traced through this treasure trove. Beyond what we know about the email crisis, there are other issues we want to get into, but I want to close this out a, a little bit more fully. 
uh, there's some speculation that potentially a leak might have included uh, Dan Snyder himself in wanting his uh, former GM president, Bruce Allen, to take the fall because he's no longer in that position and to be tied to Gruden, a cheerleading marketing person for the Washington football team who's on the opposing side of some bad things that were done and said to cheerleaders, has recently said she believes that Snyder is behind this as well. What do we think next week we might be hearing about this email crisis? Do you believe that, based on your knowledge of the NFL, that they're going to have enough pressure to have to relieve, release, I should say, more? Yeah. It's two great points, Mike. I mean, you know, number one, your first point, it's the great parlor game, right? Who leaked this to the Wall Street Journal? Why? Who leaked it to the New York Times? Why? I've heard every name in the book. I will tell you this, though. I've covered a lot of these reputational crises, and so have you. Uh, There's an old saying, Mike, you know, those who set out on a journey of revenge should dig two graves. Right. What that means is that sometimes people think they're going to weaponize something and take down somebody else, and it ends up boomeranging back on them or taking down somebody else or hurting the reputation of somebody else, like an Adam Schefter or a Jeff Posh, you know, right. who wasn't the target uh, to begin with. So I, I think, you know, when Good you point. play this kind of, you know, dirty pool, uh, as it were, um, you know, leaks, you know, it's very kind of a, almost political, uh, like dirty tricks. I mean, it could come back to bite you uh, very, very quickly. Yeah. Excellent points. All right. Well, let's get into another major issue that continues with scandals regarding the NFL. Concussions. Why are concussions such a big issue for the National Football League? And how did this settlement come about? And where in the heck did this term race norming come from and how is it stuck in the middle of the, the crisis itself? Yeah, well, it's a, it's a recent case where uh, African-American players who've suffered from concussions uh, said they weren't being tested properly and the NFL decided that they were right and they, they came with an agreement. You know, in terms of concussions, uh, Mike, I've always thought this is the, the gravest threat there is to the NFL. Not a treasure trove of emails, uh, not the NBA, not MLB, but concussions. And I mean, when the mothers of the world say, I am not allowing my son to play tackle football anymore, then what is the NFL going to do? You know, recruit players from around the world or anything, you know what I mean? But that hasn't happened yet. It's a generational uh, problem for uh, the NFL because the NFL, even at the high school level, is the leading cause of concussions. And what we're talking about now is the shaking of the brain, right, in the skull to the point where it could hit against the skull and bounce back and not just cause temporary damage, but permanent damage for the rest of your life. Well put, Mike. That is exactly the diagnosis of what a concussion is. Uh, it's the brain striking the skull. Now, if you played football, uh, I played football, I knew you were a jock too. You know what I mean? You know that, particularly at the NFL level, this is not a, you know, a, a contact sport. It's a collision sport. That's Playing right. in the NFL has been likened to being in a car wreck 
every Sunday. That's how fast these guys are. That's how big they are. That's how hard they hit. If you've ever been stood on a sideline for an NFL game, and I have, and you see that sweep coming towards you, Mike, and you see the size and the speed of a Derrick Henry, never mind the linebackers with 6'6", 275, and they, they can run you know, a, a flat-out 40, it's, it's just shocking how hard and how powerful they can hit. So, yeah, I mean, concussions not only take you out of the game, and we saw Daniel Jones of the Giants stumbling around like a punch-drunk fighter a week ago, but what they can lead to is a life that's not worth living. See Jim McMahon of the Bears, can't remember where he put down his car keys, can't remember what he did yesterday, and even death. We've had, uh, you know, uh, concussions cause dementia in certain uh, NFL players who are retired, and they've led them to commit suicide. So to me, it's an existential problem that the league has dealt with for decades and will continue to deal with as long as there's an NFL. And they have a settlement currently, which obviously will have ongoing settlements as long as the game is around, especially once you set a precedent, of a billion dollars going to these players. Obviously not equally. Some were injured more than others. And how does that play out now? Well, I think the NFL is doing the right thing and, you know, they're addressing a wrong here that was, uh, you know, primarily uh, against African-American players. African-American players are the heart and soul of the NFL. They're 70% of the players. And even after the whole Kaepernick mess, Goodell had to come out and say, look, I'm on the side of my African-American players because they are the league. There would be no NFL without them. So I, I think it's a smart move. Uh, by the NFL to address a long hell wrong. And I think a lot of the things they're doing are necessary, Mike. Uh, you know, I remember what uh, when I was a kid, football co- coaches would be in practice in the summer. They wouldn't even let us drink water. They thought it made you tougher. Right. Right. And, and if you've got a concussion, they didn't even call it a concussion. We didn't know what a concussion is. They said, you got your bell rung or you saw stars. Get back out there. Tape it up and play. So, I mean, all the things the NFL is doing, trying to avoid helmet to helmet contacts, the spearing, these are all things that are really, really helpful, I think, for the players and their long-term health. And you mentioned the impact uh, that professional players have, high school players, college players. I've seen some high school players who look like professional players. It's only a few years later that you can be playing in the NFL. These guys are 6'10", these guys are 350 or more and not fat, and will hit you like literally a ton of bricks. To tell you the truth, I'm surprised in some ways somebody hasn't died on an NFL field over the last 50 years. That's how hard uh, these guys uh, can hit and do hit every, uh, every week. And if you also look, Mike, too, uh, you know, when we were going out watching football in the 80s, this is the NFL, the spiraling football through the air, John Pacenda. These guys were wrapped up like mummies, right? You looked at the old Oakland Raiders, Lyle Alzado, they had hand guards and their forearms were taped and they were taped and padded all over. NFL players wear hardly any equipment anymore, Mike. Right. They wear a helmet, shoulder pads, that's it. Their whole body is exposed. And they do that for one reason, speed. Yes. Which also brings another consequence, which is being hurt much more often, and we do see many injuries that are happening in the NFL because of that. 
some of them, quite frankly, are also happening with, 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 with some fields that still have artificial turf versus grass fields, but that's a, that's a whole nother issue. Mike, you mentioned something very important. You mentioned the percentage of players in the NFL that are black. Um, one of the stats I saw, for example, uh, with the uh, Gruden um, scandal with the uh, Las Vegas Raiders mentioned as a historical reminder that that team at one point had high 80s in percentages of African-American players before he got there. And in hearing his racist, misogynistic, and homophobic comments and emails, it was no surprise to people that those numbers decreased during his tenure. But when you have numbers in the high 70s, that's, that's approximately three quarters of the league that is African-American. That's like apartheid South Africa kind of numbers. How do we still not have owners? How do we still not have the majority of general managers? How do we still not have the majority of coaches that are black as well? What's going on with that portion of the crisis? Yeah, I mean, to your first point, Mike, I mean, what's sad about the whole Gruden scandal and Gruden you know, getting what he deserved is the Raiders actually have uh, a pretty good record in terms of race. They had Archell as a head coach. That's and right. Amy Trask uh, as team president. They were extremely forward thinking. And even, you know, Al Davis was extremely forward thinking about, you know, turning African American players into his stars. So it's a real shame that, as you said, what happened happens, you know what I mean, to an organization that had one of the stronger track records, I think, in the league. I mean, I, I think what you need to do, Mike, is you, you need to keep pushing. We need to see more African-American head coaches. We need to see them in the front office. We need to see them as GMs and team presidents. That's why this email stuff that's flying around, that wouldn't pass, Muster. I mean, you've told me a million times on our interviews, Mike, I mean, what goes on in the meeting room is so important. If you have the right voice, the right person who puts his finger down and says, what are you, crazy? We can't do this. We can't say this. We can't let this go out on, I think. I mean, that's what they're missing, that, that person, that voice. Uh, all across the league. So, I mean, I think you got to keep pushing it. Uh, uh, you know, if African-American head coaches have been, you know, a tremendous, uh, done a tremendous job for the league. Tony Dungy is regarded as the conscience of the NFL. And right. know, who wouldn't want to play for Mike Tomlin? I'd go through a wall for the guy. So, yeah, you just got to keep pushing. But you're right. You know, when is there going to be the first African-American uh, owner of an NFL team? It wouldn't surprise me, Mike, if Jay-Z is that person. Jay-Z has established a, a very strong relationship with the league. You know what I mean? He certainly uh, has enough money or he could be the head of a consortium to buy a team. So if, if I'm putting my money on the first African-American owner, it's on Jay-Z. Well, we've seen some sprinkles of celebrities and entertainers who have a small percentage of ownership in various sports teams, but wow, to be the lead owner or as you say, a, con a consortium of black men or, or uh, owners of color would be amazing. Do you believe that what would be necessary for more pressure to happen beyond a Jay-Z includes pressuring major sponsors, especially publicly traded major sponsors and brands 
who are held accountable by saying your annual report and your board made major changes five years ago, 10 years ago regarding diversity, equality, and inclusion, for example, but you're associated with a league that ultimately you're involved with to sell your products through sponsorship and services through sponsorship, and you're allowing this to continue what say you with a microphone thrown in their face? Right. Uh, it's proven to be a very effective technique, Mike. Uh, you know, uh, pressuring sponsors in corporate America uh, into, you know, standing their ground and, and kind of coming out and saying something or, or taking a side, if you were, has proven to be very effective. I think that could work. Uh, I don't know uh, if it would be better than doing it internally, because it's changing the NFL from within. Uh, I think what's, what's happening, Mike, is we've all got such short attention spans, right? I mean, the news cycle moves so quickly. You, you asked me a few minutes ago about what's ultimately going to happen with this email story. You know, it's already fading. People are already getting bored with it. The NFL has said, we're not going to release any emails. And despite you know, the insistence of people in the media saying, look, we need to see everything. You should release everything. You should do the right thing. I mean, I'm a, an open records guy. And I mean, I'm a free speech guy. I'd love to see the league release all the emails. You know, it, the, the story is already moving on. So, I mean, to the point that you're making, Mike, you, what you need to do is you need to keep the pressure on. You can't let these stories pop up and then fade away. You know what I mean? You need to keep a steady, you know what I mean, pressure, a campaign, if you will, you know what I mean, to try to get, move the league in the direction that you want it to move. Well, I can assure you, for anyone who's saying that the email story is over, it is not. And there, all you need is one person to get access to one email or one sentence that is salacious of those additional 600,000 plus messages that are out there. That is like a time bomb hanging over anyone's head who knows that they're there. And it's salacious enough that any executive producer, editor, or journalist who can get their hands on them including through it spreading first through social media and then having a more in-depth story through the news is still something, whether we get at the end of this year, into next year, we know that the Super Bowl is a timestamp that could be a salacious time to have more released if somebody has them and is holding on to them beforehand. I don't see it being over anytime soon. Um, I, I absolutely agree with you, Mike. What I was referring to is, is right now the story seems to be dying in the media because there's nothing new. But as you said, all it takes is one email released, and who knows who's sitting on what? Who that's knows right. who's waiting for the right moment, the right game, the right weekend to release the next email? And then it just blow up all over again like a fire, like a fire that was burning low, and all of a sudden you throw some gasoline on it, and then it takes off. Uh and, you know, to the point of the, the NFL, I mean, I think the most important people in the NFL right now are the, uh, the IT techs. <laughs> They're probably yeah. going through and, every team's emails and going through every president's emails, trying to scrub them clean of anything. Because you yourself said, Mike, I mean, there's nobody better at reputational uh, management than you. I mean, all it uh, takes is to just tough. laugh at one of these emails or not or seem to agree with them. And the damage is done. You're just as guilty as the person who sent it. That's exactly right. And, you know, for, for anyone who thinks that this is something small, uh, I give him one word, WikiLeaks, uh, for dribs and drabs, deciding when, how, who has the access to it, 
who else behind the scenes can release it on what time stamp and what time and date to do so, it's, it's critical. Uh, and I would be concerned if I knew that I had sent emails similar to that and they're part of that investigation. What I'm also concerned about, Mike, is we don't know the, the reason why these emails are sent out. You know, there's, there's sort of a, a romance that's grown up around, you know, confidential sources or anonymous sources that, you know, they're always on the side of the angels. But, you know, somebody who's releasing these emails could have, you know, their own ax to grind. And, That's right. You know what I mean? They could have their own ulterior motives. And, you know what I mean? There's going to be a lot of collateral damage as they try to achieve those goals. So not only uh, would I like to, you know, see the emails, I'd like to know who's leaking them. Well, as you know, I'm usually on the opposing side to the league's position on a lot of the issues that they have going on, simply because I've chosen to work with professional athletes that play in the league. Um, I haven't had the union nor the front office uh, as a client, but they know me. They know me well. Um, and ultimately, they know if I help clean up the reputation of a professional athlete who plays in their league, it's good for the league, it's good for sponsors, it's good for everyone. Uh, they might not like it when it gets hot, when there's responsibility from a league perspective initially, but if in the end it gets a player back on the field, um, it gets the union and the league agreeing to things. It gets a sponsor happy to be associated with that athlete in the future. It's a, it's a win-win-win. That being said, one of the things I'm hearing about some of the uh, Washington football team's issues that were tied to cheerleaders is I think they're poo-pooing these cheerleaders to think that they're, they're not smart and they're not strategic and, you know, there's some kind of a side story. But they, they plan to bring pressure before and during the Super Bowl to women's issues to sponsors. <laughs> when I heard that, I said, that's something that the league and sponsors should be taking very seriously because if more than almost 50% of the, what is it, 47%, I think it is, or something like that, of women are fans of the NFL... That's exactly right. 47% of the last time they checked it. Some of those sponsors, we can go through the list, are very family-friendly, very female-friendly. It's not all tires and, and, and beer. And if you're that type of a brand or you're type of, that type of a corporation and you're a publicly traded organization, you should be concerned to make sure you have your position straight regarding women in this league including cheerleaders in the way that they were treated. Yeah, very concerned, Mike. I couldn't agree with you more. More women actually watch uh, the NFL than watch the Oscars or any of these uh, entertainment showcases. Not a lot of people know that, but they are literally one of the biggest groups of viewers out there. So when the NFL viewership is going up dramatically like it is this season, that means more and more women are watching the NFL. More and more mothers are watching the NFL, the mothers who go out there and make the consumer purchasing decision, and the mothers who ultimately decide whether or not they're going to allow their sons to play this very high collision sport. Final issue, Mike. Colin Kaepernick started a movement. That movement took off in a different direction external to sports because sadly many black men died and some black women that 
grew a mission and a another movement called Black Lives Matters. He's got a documentary out. He says that he's still training and in shape and ready to play in the league. When I mention the name Colin Kaepernick today, answer it from a perspective of him potentially still getting an opportunity to play. If he doesn't get an opportunity to play, what impact has he had on the game moving forward? Um, and there are people that are still angry about the impact of taking a knee and how it's still influencing the Black National Anthem and other things during this season. Yeah. Hey, Mike, can Cap still play? Absolutely. Uh, as you said, you know, the word is he's up at 5 a.m. training. I mean, you're telling me Colin Kaepernick isn't better than most of the backups out there. You know, I mean, the Case Keatums of the world. You know, what I mean, these guys who've cycled through 11 or 12. The guy's less than 10 years removed from almost winning the Super Bowl. That's right. And not only that, but the NFL has moved in Kaepernick's direction. And I don't mean just uh, protest-wise. I'll get to that in a minute. But I'm talking about playing style. We've moved away from the statue quarterbacks, Eli Manning, and now we're in an age of Lamar Jackson. And, and Kyler Murray and all these athletic running quarterbacks who can do well, that was Kaepernick 10 years ago. I'll never forget, Mike, uh, going to a Jets 49ers game. And uh, at the time, remember, they were uh, putting in Team Tebow to run the Wildcat for the Jets. Yes. And Tebow was terrible that day, hardly got the ball. And then this number seven came on the field for the 49ers. And this guy's running all over the place, dropping bomb. And we were like, who is this guy? I mean, he runs the, the Wildcat 100 times better than Tim Tebow. Well, it was Colin Kaepernick. So, I mean, I, I clearly think the, uh, the athletic ability is there. You know what I mean? It's a matter of, you know, does he get the chance? I mean, would it be a big deal if a team signed now? I mean, as you said, the whole idea of taking a knee is so uh, accepted now, it's almost passe. If, if some athletes don't take a knee, they're the ones in the news. So right. uh, I, I think uh, he could clearly play. I just don't think he'll get the chance uh, from a league that saw him as a, a driver of uh, lost revenue, lost ratings, all this type of stuff. But, uh, you know, to your, your final question, Mike, where does it all uh, net out? He changed the NFL. He changed the face of sports. I mean, How so? because he brought issues to the forefront about players speaking their mind and having Race. their own beliefs, right? Not being just a cattle anymore while the, the teams were the ranchers. I mean, these are real people with real beliefs and real uh, you know, desires to change the world. And he brought all that to the forefront. And it, it changed not only the face of the NFL, it changed the face of sports from the Olympic on down. From Goodell's perspective, do you think you'd ever see Black Lives Matter at the stenciled at an end zone or the Black yeah. National Anthem played before opening night if it hadn't been for Colin Kaepernick? Not a chance in hell. Yeah, amazing legacy, whether he gets to play the game again or not. I'll tell you, um, Mike, here's my final question about Cap. What is it about Cap in those emails, right? Is Cap in those emails a lot oh, sure. more than, you know, the, the Gruden's comment that, you know what I mean, you should be thrown out of the league? You know what I mean? Because that could have all sorts of 
legal ramifications and monetary ramifications and reputational. I mean, uh, you're talking about a, a 10 year period when Cat was not only one of the best uh, quarterbacks in the league, but we're talking about going into 2016 uh, when he first took a knee and this whole uh, movement, as you said, erupted. So, I mean, his career as an NFL player was right in the sweet spot of those emails. Uh, not only his career, but his protests, the taking the knee, uh, the national anthem. And I'm really interested to see what else there is about Kaepernick on those emails. Well, I'll take it a step further. With the percentage of black athletes you just said play for the National Football League, approximately three quarters, I could assure you that the union and the individual players want to know how are they truly talked about as individual players on individual teams by those who feel that they were communicating privately? If you call the head of the union basically a monkey with big Michelin lips and someone is negotiating a contract that you feel has bigger britches than he deserves... What kind of language do you say about your own running back, your own quarterback, your own lineman, right? Your own DB in those types of emails and texts that are associated with this investigation. I can assure you that it's not going to be pleasant. And there's going to be a lot of racism and a lot of bad things that are going to come out of those emails that we do not know about yet. Race is at the core of this country. Sports is just a small part of it. I think we're going to see some very damaging racial, uh, racially, racially motivated emails that are going to talk about their own family on individual teams, including the Las Vegas Raiders, and the Washington football team. That's my opinion. It's a great point, uh, and it's something, you know what I mean, the NFL should be very, very concerned about. And, and I would just add on to that, Mike, that the NFL is our national sport now. I mean, it literally is the linchpin that's holding together uh, sports and entertainment. And the NFL deals with so many people, so many powerful people, politicians, presidents, people in Congress, state, senators, entertainers, halftime acts, uh, you name it. What's on the emails about them? Right. Good point. Well, uh, you could have some, you know, uh, some senator who's been a longtime supporter of the email and it comes out, you know what I mean? They, you know, he's being called names or she's being called names. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a can of worms that's just waiting to, uh, to burst open. I mean, uh, of course, I would love to see a full release of the emails, but I also uh, understand that any organization, whether it's the NFL or the New York Times or uh, anybody out there, wouldn't like the world to see how the sausage is truly made, as you said a moment ago, how people talk in private, not in public, because it's a, you know, a no-win scenario. Well, thus far, we haven't heard words like subpoena. We haven't heard words like lawsuit that is an attorney standing up to a microphone saying we're going to be getting that evidence, whether they like it or not, to seek to protect my client 
who is suing them, if any comments that are currently out there are partially uh, damaging to someone, they would want to know the rest. And they would be uh, allowed to seek to get them involved with lawsuits. So this is far from over. Far from over. We also know, and I'll just add this as well, that in our profession, um, I not only work in crisis PR and reputation management, I'm also a journalist now with this show and other things that I do. Before I was just commentating, but now we own the whole thing. Um, You could foil and seek information for stories that you're writing as well. And there are laws that will allow you to get some of it. Yeah, some so of it's, it's already out there. And, it, uh, and, it, and that process can take years. So as it, you said, Mike, I mean, just when you think this thing uh, might be dead and buried, it might come roaring uh, its head back to life. Uh, you know, because of those things, the, the laborious process that we journalists use to get to documents that people don't want us to see. That's right. Michael, thank you so much for your time. The ongoing scandals in the NFL. Unfortunately, I know this is not the end. There'll be more. I thank you for your analysis. I thank you for your journalistic wisdom. And I thank you for your friendship. Mike, my pleasure was great. Thank you so much. And this week's t-shirt is of none other than Colin Kaepernick. This is one of the originals with him taking a knee and having the black power fist as his afro. One of my favorites. As you can tell, it's getting a little old, but it still gets a lot of wear. Cap is a civil rights hero, in my opinion. Still an amazing athlete. He's got a great documentary that's out now. Take a look at it. So my opinion of this week's issue, the NFL continuing scandal in 2021. They just can't help themselves. They continue to trip over themselves with so many issues. Ironically, this is a league that's run mainly by white men that are attorneys. But the amount of legal issues, the amount of reputational issues, the amount of alleged illegal and alleged unethical and immoral activities that still continue within the league is catastrophic. Let's hope that they do the right thing and have some transparency regarding these emails transparency about the way in which they talk about all types of people. When you have terms like misogynistic, homophobic, racist associated with your name or your comments, that's never a good thing. Why? Because your reputation is everything. Thank you for joining us this week with Reputations in Crisis with Mike Paul, the Rep Doc. And remember, please subscribe to us by subscribing on YouTube, 
and also following us with our podcast versions on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And remember, less head work, more heart work. Peace. We'll see you next week.